Welcome to the Choose Life Radio Network. Your host is Jill Taylor. Every week we bring you a candid conversation with someone who's making a difference for the cause of life. And now here's Jill to introduce today's guest on Choose Life Radio. If you wish that you could firmly discuss how valuable life is, then you are going to want to listen very carefully to our guest today. I'm so glad you joined us today. I'm Jill Taylor, your host, and we are going to really want to have paper and pen in hand as you listen to Scott Klusendorf talk. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Jill, great to be with you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, you're so welcome. I'd love to share a couple of the titles of your book. You've got The Case for Life, Equipping Christians to Engage the Culture, and you've also written Stand for Life, A Student's Guide for Making the Case and Saving Lives. So students who are on campuses have something they can read and share with the very, very liberal people that they might be associating with. And all of us can enjoy reading The Case for Life and knowing how to make this discussion doable for us. Tell me a little bit about you and how you got involved and decided this was your career. Well, the short story, Jill, is that in November of 1990, I went to a pastor's gathering where there was supposed to be a 100 other pastors. The topic was abortion. And I thought, oh, good, all of my colleagues will be there from the area in Southern California. I showed up. And there were four other pastors and their wives and maybe one or two other people, very small group. And I thought, wow, where is everybody? But thankfully, the speaker was not deterred. And the speaker, Greg Cunningham, former member of the Reagan administration and the Justice Department, a lawyer, laid out a case for the pro-life view. And I had always been pro-life, but I had never heard anybody lay out a case the way he did. But then he did something that fundamentally changed my mind, Jill. He showed a video depicting abortion, and I had never seen abortion. And I sat there and wept and thought, I am no different than the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan. I say that I oppose abortion, but I'm not lifting a finger to stop it. And that day, I went home in November of 1990, and I took that VHS tape. By the way, VHS tapes were those rectangular things with you know, <laughs> tape running through them. For any of your listeners that are wondering... Um, I showed it to my wife, and she said, I'm with you, whatever you want to do. And six months later, with the blessing of my church, I had left my position as an associate pastor and was going to pursue how I could train pro-lifers to make a case for life. So that's how I got into it. So I've been at this now 30 years. 30 years. Well, they're 30 well-invested years, and we are very grateful for you. You have the courage to go to colleges like Stanford and University of California, Berkeley, these are very, very liberal schools. And you speak on those campuses, or you try to speak on those campuses. What is it that happens when you're speaking there? Well, assuming we don't have a heckler's veto situation where people try to just shut you down by shouting, which we haven't had a lot of that, the response has been very good. Because the way I frame this is, I walk in and I say, listen, I'm just going to lay out a case for why I think the way I do. I'm going to give you my reasons, and then what I'm going to do after I lay out my case, I'm going to go over the two strongest objections to the pro-life case, not the weakest ones, the strongest ones, and tell you why I'm not persuaded by those objections, 
And then I want to hear from you. It's, it's your chance to raise any objections you want, but during the course of my talk, I will deal with five bad ways people typically argue against the pro-life view and why those arguments aren't good. And I'm sure you've got better arguments than these bad ones I'm going to go over. <laughs> but I'm going to go over these five so that you uh, are not uh, persuaded by them. And then I really do want to hear from you. Now, that diffuses everyone but the radicals who just want to shout you down, the Marxist students who mm -hmm. have no interest in rational discourse. And it causes people to listen. And then I just take Q&A after I've laid out my case. And you have a method that people can learn to do exactly what you're talking about. How not necessarily to have the, the same personality that you have and the same assurance, but they really can, if they do it over and over, get good at being able to address this issue instead of hang your head and say, well, if you're pro-choice, you must have a reason for it and walk away. How would you teach the people who are with me today listening to this program to do that? Well, that's a great question, Jill. What your listeners need to know, first of all, is that it's not on them to close the deal. We have this mindset that if people don't convert on the spot, we fail. That is false. Uh, our job, as my colleague Greg Kokel points out, is to put a pebble in their shoe. I don't know if you've ever had a pebble in your shoe when you're out hiking, but it wears on you and wears on you. Uh, until you stop to deal with it. We want to give people something to think about. Drop a pebble in their shoe, as Greg says, and let that wear on them. So the way to do that is to focus our pro-life apologetic. And by apologetics, I mean making a case for what you believe. We want to focus our pro-life apologetic on three objectives. Number one, simplifying this debate for people who think it's complex. We want to show them it's not complex. Morally, it really comes down to one primary question we have to address before all others. Then we want to make a case for our view using science and philosophy. And the reason we do that is if we start with Scripture, people are going to reject us because mm -hmm. they don't accept religious truth as right. real knowledge. Now, I believe it's real knowledge, but they don't. So, okay, we'll, we'll table that for the moment. And then we want to, thirdly, be prepared to answer objections. So the first thing we want to do is simplify this debate. The public thinks that the abortion debate is about choice, trusting women, privacy, and a host of other issues that are completely beside the point. And the problem is every one of those comments that we should trust women to make their own personal decisions or we should respect privacy only work if you assume the unborn aren't human. Nobody would make those arguments if we were talking about killing toddlers mm -hmm. uh, or teenagers, although some of your listeners may go, wait a minute, teenagers, let's talk about that. But uh, <laughs> you get the idea. They only work if you assume the unborn are not human. But that's the very issue in the abortion debate. You've got to demonstrate the unborn aren't human before you can say we can kill the unborn. You've got to at least answer the question, what is the unborn, before you say it's okay to kill the unborn. And that's precisely the question our culture wants to ignore. Uh, and we as pro-lifers have to make it very clear that we are vigorously pro-choice on women choosing their own doctors, their own political candidates, their own careers the men they wish to marry, the cars they wish to drive, 
the wardrobes they wish to purchase, the health care providers they wish to employ, but some choices are wrong, like intentionally killing innocent human beings simply because they're in the way of something we want. That's a choice a civil society should not allow. So we want to frame this debate around the question, what is the unborn? If the unborn are not human, I see no reason to oppose abortion at all. Have as many of them as you want. But if the unborn are human, we should not be intentionally killing innocent human beings just because they're in the way of something we want. So we want to frame this debate around the question, what is it? What is the unborn? Then we can make our case. And I want to give your listeners the three most important words for every pro-life apologist. And if they want, they can get ready to write them down, though I have a feeling they're (laughs) going to have an easy time remembering them. So the first word is syllogism. Now, right away, your listeners are going, wait a minute, what on earth is that? Well, a syllogism is simply a couple of premises followed by a conclusion. We use them all the time. We're just not even aware of it. A formal syllogism would be Socrates is a man. All men are mortal. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. Or with your kids, you might use a syllogism. Your 16-year-old says, Dad, can I have the car next Friday night? Dad says, no, uh, we had an agreement that you only get to drive if your grades are good. Your grades are not good, therefore you will not drive. Now, that's a syllogism, a rather unfortunate one for the teenager, but a syllogism. (laughs) Well, pro-lifers have a syllogism, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Second most important word is syllogism. Want to guess what the third most important word is? <laughs> Syllogism. I think you know. Yeah, now why would I say that, Jill? Because people want to change the topic on abortion. They want to talk about everything but abortion. By having a clearly stated syllogism, we can keep the main thing the main thing. So what is the pro-life syllogism? It's, it's not complicated at all. Here it is. Premise one, it's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. It's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Premise two, abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being. Conclusion, therefore abortion is wrong. It's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Abortion does that, therefore it's wrong. Now here's what's great about that, Jill. I now have a foundation for making my case. Mm -hmm. In order to refute me, my critic needs to show that my syllogism is either invalid, meaning the conclusion doesn't follow from the premises, or that one or more of the, set, the premises are false. They're going to have a tough time doing that. And then I can defend that syllogism in a minute or less. In fact, I have good news for your listeners. Before <laughs> we're done here today, they're going to know how to defend their pro-life views in a minute or less. And then I can defend that syllogism by showing that the science of embryology establishes that from the earliest stages of development, from the one-cell stage, you and I were distinct, living, whole human beings. We weren't part of another human being, like skin cells on the back of our hands. Rather, we were already, at the embryonic stage, complete, distinct, whole living beings. Sure, we had yet to grow and mature, but the kind of thing we were was not in question. Human parents produce human offspring. And if anybody wants to question that, Jill, you can simply ask, how is it possible for two human parents to create offspring that isn't human, but later becomes so? To quote one of my favorite philosophers, Ricky Ricardo, 
they're going to have some splaining to do. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be easy for them. Oh, this is absolutely fantastic, and I am so excited for those who are listening today because you are doing a really good job of simply explaining why and how to talk to somebody who comes up to you with a, I'm pro-choice, you're, you're wrong. We're going to take a brief break and come right back with Scott Klusendorf. Choose Life Radio believes that life is a sacred gift from God and should be treated as such, from conception to natural death. Our purpose is to share in-depth conversations with persons who have a direct connection to the life issue. These conversations encourage, inspire, and shine the light of God's amazing grace on a lost and hurting world. Your gift today, whatever the size, will help us continue to expand the reach of these life-affirming conversations. You can give generously online by visiting chooseliferadio.com. Just click the donate button at the top of the page, or you can mail your gift to Choose Life Radio, Post Office Box 36622, Canton, Ohio 44735. That's Choose Life Radio, Post Office Box 36622, Canton, Ohio 44735. That address is also posted at ChooseLifeRadio.com. Your gift helps keep this life-affirming message on the radio. Now let's get back to the conversation. Welcome back to Choose Life Radio. Jill Taylor here, your host. We are always glad when you go to our website and check out our podcasts, and that's ChooseLifeRadio.com. There you will be able to find this wonderful interview with Scott Klusendorf and share it with your friends. This is one of those interviews that I believe, as Christians, we are absolutely, positively needing to share with our friends. So let's get back to Scott, because he's giving us some real gems that are relatively simple to understand. I appreciate that, Scott. Well, thank you, Jill. And as we were saying just before the break, the science of embryology is clear that each of us from the very beginning was a distinct living and whole human being. And we can also point out that philosophically, there's no relevant difference between the embryo we once were and the adults we are today that would justify killing us back then. Here's the mistake that a lot of pro-lifers make. A critic says, well, that embryo is different from us. For example, he doesn't have a brain yet, so he can't be a human being. And what we tend to do as pro-lifers is go right to fetal development. And we say things like, well, but it, they, we can measure brain waves by week six or by week eight in, in the fetus's dream in the womb. These are wrong answers, and they're wrong for this reason. You just bought the premise of the opponent you're talking to. What we ought to do is say, yeah, there are differences between that embryo and you and I. But that doesn't matter. You've got to show me why those differences are relevant such that we can say it would be okay to kill you then, but not now. And that's where their argument totally breaks down. Hmm. In fact, there's only four differences, Jill, between you, the embryo, and you, the adult, and none of them are good reasons for saying we could kill you then, but not now. There's a difference of size a difference of level of development, a difference of environment, meaning where we're located, and a difference of degree of dependency. You can use the acronym SLED, as Stephen Schwartz has suggested, to remember those four differences. Size, there's your S. You were smaller as an embryo, but since when does body size determine value? 
Shaquille O'Neal, the former basketball star, is seven foot two and a foot taller than everybody listening right now. <laughs> is he more human and valuable simply because he's bigger? Body size doesn't give you a right to life. What about your level of development? There's your L in that acronym sled. Sure, you were less developed as an embryo. So, two-year-old girls are less developed than 21-year-old young women. Two-year-old girls don't have a developed reproductive system yet. Are they less human and valuable than the 21-year-old who does? What about your environment where you're located? You were in the womb, now you're out. But where you are doesn't determine what you are. Jill, when you drove to the studio today, I'm going to guess you drove at least seven miles. I could be wrong. Sure. But, but let's play along. If a journey of seven miles didn't change you from one kind of thing to another, how does a journey of seven inches down the birth canal suddenly bestow you with value and a right to life? And the answer is, if you weren't already human and valuable, simply changing your address doesn't get you there. Yeah. And finally, degree of dependency. Sure, you depended on your mother for survival, but again, why does that matter? There are children born today in pediatric situations that can only tolerate their own mother's milk. They can't tolerate formula or, or other nourishment. What would we think of a, a mother who unplugged her own child in that condition and said, my body, my choice, too bad, he depends totally on me, I'm not going to feed him. Hmm. We would think that mother a moral monster. Well, again, so look at these four differences, size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. None of them are good reasons for saying we could kill you then, but not now. Now, notice what we just did, Jill. We argued a scientific case that the unborn are distinct, living, and whole human beings. Then we argued a philosophic case that there's no relevant difference between you, the embryo, and you, the adult, that justifies killing you back then. Now, could our case be wrong? Yeah, it's possible. But now our critic has to show where our case goes wrong. Simply changing the topic won't work. For example, if a critic says, well, that's just your religious view. Wait a minute. Arguments are either true or false, valid or invalid. Calling my argument a name doesn't refute it. Or they may say, oh, you just hate women or you're a man. Arguments don't have gender. People do. Pro-life women use the same exact arguments I use as a, a pro-life man. You've got to refute our argument, our syllogism. It doesn't work to just change the topic and call me names. So this is the power of having a syllogism, an argument that you make. It keeps the main thing the main thing. Right. And easy to remember. And the, the sled, yeah. I love the letters. And here's a question that has to do with our faith as believers. It's oftentimes very difficult for us to share Christ with people. We have a wonderful experience in our church service. We walk out refreshed, feeling great. But we don't say to the next person, hey, I was at church today and I was just praying for you guys, knowing you were going to serve me a cup of coffee. So thank you for that. That's a testimony of that's where I've been, and this is what I've been doing, praying for you. The same thing is existing in addressing this extremely important issue. We're afraid to. We're afraid to open up, and what you've given our listener today and me is a reminder that there are very simple steps to take. In fact, you can argue your pro-life case in a minute or less, and I promised your listeners I would teach them to do that, so I'm going to give them the sound bite, and what I'm going to do as well, Jill, I'm going to 
text you this soundbite so you can post it on your website oh, if fantastic. you wish to. That's fantastic. Um, yes. Uh, but uh, here it is. Let's say you're at Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is just around the corner, and your Aunt Betty visits from Boston. She's not a Christian. She's not pro-life. She doesn't share your worldview. And she's rather outspoken about that. And she's trying to be polite, but between bites of turkey and stuffing, she finally can't handle it anymore. And she looks at you and says, why are you pro-life? And here's your answer. And you're going to be able to say this in a minute or less. You're going to look at her and you're going to be generous. You're going to be gracious. And you're simply going to say, you can start the clock now if you want to see if I get this done in a minute (laughs) or less. (laughs) You'll look at her and you'll say the following. Aunt Betty, I'm pro-life because it's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. And the science of embryology says that from the earliest stages of development, you were a distinct living and whole human being. You weren't part of another human being like skin cells on the back of my hand. You were already a whole living member of the human family, even though you had yet to grow and mature. And you know what else, Aunt Betty? There's no essential difference between you, the embryo, and you, the adult, that would justify killing you back then. Differences of size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency are not good reasons for saying you had a right to life now, but not then. Now, I got that done in under a minute. You did. I didn't quote (laughs) any Bible verses, but did I communicate biblical truth? Of course I did. And I gave Aunt Betty something to think about. I put a pebble in her shoe. And that's your job as a pro-life apologist. And once you do that, you've got a conversation rolling in the right direction. Well, Thanksgiving is going to be unique around the tables. <laughs> Everyone has been listening to you today. This is. I think we is, all have Aunt Betty's. Well, well uh, absolutely, and we have neighbors that we tiptoe around on, especially if you're in the ministry of trying to help women make life yes. choices. You've got people next door to you that are saying, "Ah, uh, that's not us," and we think you're doing a terrible thing. You're stepping against women's rights. You know, when people say to me. You're anti-woman. You're all wet here. You're you're nuts and you're 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 mean. You want to restrict people's choices. I will sometimes look right at them and say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I agree with you completely. You're right. There should be no restrictions on abortion. You're right that no government laws should be passed against it. You're right that pro-lifers like me should butt out of this issue and leave it totally to individual women. I agree with you completely if, if what? If the unborn are not human. Mm -hmm. The difference between you and me is not that you're pro-choice and I'm anti-choice. You're anti-choice on killing toddlers. So am I. The issue that separates us is you don't believe the unborn are human. I do. That's the issue we need to talk about. Mm -hmm. Long ago, Randy Alcorn wrote a book about this issue, and he said that the issue of abortion allows us to move into every kind of murder and the things that we say, well, I just don't like that person, and I have the right to kill. We are in a culture right now where we're watching people run up to a car, shoot two people who they don't even know, and then run away. Our culture is this way because we don't value life. Yeah, it is a dangerous thing we're at. 
As soon as you reject the idea that humans have intrinsic value, meaning that humans are valuable simply because of the kind of thing they are, then might makes right. Those in power will decide who has value and who doesn't. And right now, uh, there is a mob rule mentality out there. There is no doubt the upcoming election is going to be in large measure about the rule of law mm-hmm. between those who believe we should preserve law and order and those who want to burn the system down. And that is a big deal. And part of those who want to preserve the rule of law, many of those people, and I would include myself in this, We believe that the purpose of the rule of of law is to protect innocent human beings from unjustly being harmed. And that's, in essence, what the pro-life movement is about. We are about protecting innocent human beings from unjust harm. And that's been our commitment from the beginning. It'll be our commitment till this fight is eventually Mm -hmm. won. Yeah. And we do pray for that. And thank you so much for this incredible time to hear your wisdom, to to understand that there are ways to do this in one minute or less. And so I encourage our listeners, pick up his book, The Case for Life, Equipping Christians to Engage the Culture. We're so grateful to have had you here today. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you, Jill. It was an honor to be on your show. (laughs) Well, thank you. I am blessed by you being on our show. You can find information about Scott Klusendorf and his books at ProLifeTraining.com. That's ProLifeTraining.com. And if you miss that or you can't get to that, come to our site, ChooseLifeRadio.com. We will have all the information for you there. I'm so grateful you're along this journey with me. And thank you for valuing life. We'll look forward to another time with you next week at Choose Life Radio. The preceding program was sponsored by the Choose Life Radio Network of Canton, Ohio.